1: And today's show uh, is called Climate Change Hysteria. Now, I don't know a lot about climate change from a scientific point of view. I do, however, know a lot about hysteria. And that is going to be certainly part of what we are talking about today, especially with the recent speeches and uh, controversy with uh, a new a 16-year-old Greta Thornburg, Thunberg um, taking the lead, or trying to uh, trying to whip everybody else up about uh, <laughs> into a climate change hysteria. So we'll get to that. But right now, first, I would like to uh, introduce my guest, who, unlike most of the people talking about climate change, is actually a scientist. A geologist to boot you know the people who study these kinds of things like the earth, uh, his book is called "Inconvenient Facts: The Science that al Gore doesn't want you to know, and his name is Gregory Wrightstone now I'm sure most of you recognize the um, the uh, ref- ref- reference referral uh, the reference to Al Gore in that uh, the movie. Came out in 2006 about Al Gore's, um, I guess passionate speeches, uh, t- you know, trying to warn everybody then about climate change and then his, um, speaking tour, you know, where he would show examples and illustrations of what he's talking about, the, the global warming, it was made into a documentary film. So, and it was and it was called uh, an incon- inconvenient truth. So, uh, so that's the reference. And welcome to the show, Gregory Wrightstone. Well, thanks for having me
2: on, Dr. Carroll. It's it's great to be on with you to, to hopefully calm some fears and and get some science facts and data uh, out there about climate change. And uh, and what I find as I travel around the country is that people are just thirsty for unbiased. Uh, unfiltered good science and data that doesn't uh, present this climate hysteria that you're talking about. And that's, that's uh, I think, mainly what we'll be talking about today, about what's really happening as opposed to, to uh, what we hear through the mainstream media.
1: You know, I was asking you before we started what date your book came out, and you said November 2017, but in the last six months or so, and I'm sure especially in this last uh, last week, probably really especially, the book sales have skyrocketed. And it's interesting that um, people weren't really, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I really haven't, I, I certainly don't have climate change hysteria, but I haven't really been paying that much attention to it one way or the other, except for how it affects my life when you know, you're supposed to put straw, oh, well. Well, in Malibu, you know, it affects some of the things in certain cities, um, um, things that they're doing for climate change. So like in Malibu, for example, we don't get to have plastic straws anymore. We have um, paper straws and no plastic utensils. It's paper. It's the uh, wooden utensils. Um, drinking cappuccinos or, or frappuccinos, I should say, out of, um, out of paper, out of... Um, what did I say? Well, paper, it's not really, it's a kind of cardboard straw rather than um, what we're used to. And not very very user-friendly. Right. So that's kind of been my, I haven't really been paying that much attention to it up until now because I say to myself, you know, the science isn't in. There's no point in getting hysterical about this yet because there are Contradictions. There are conflicts, conflicting reports about what people say. So, tell us about how you got involved in this. You know, what made you write this book in the first place? Um, Was this what you, when you started out, to be a um, geologist? Let me let me mention that you have more than thirty-five years of studying the Earth's processes. You have a BA from Waynesburg University, a master's from West Virginia University, both in geology. You've been touring the world, um, sharing your research results, India, Ireland, China, and other places. And um, it, it, uh, from what I understand, and maybe you could tell us more about this, your book was the result of a quest for the truth about climate change. So when did you start um, focusing more on that?
2: Yeah, it was. It, it really was, because I heard, as a geologist, I knew that some of what we were being told about climate change was just wrong. I suspected there were other things, but I didn't know for sure. Because like you say, we hear conflicting things. You know, they say, oh, the ice is melting. No, the ice is growing. Uh, there's more fires. There's less fires. And I, I said, I'm going to just, I'm just going to, Look at the base data myself. I want to find out what's the truth behind this. And this was so this was really a search for the truth for me. And what I found was frankly shocking in that so many of the things we just being told as fact just aren't so. And, and the bottom line is at the end of our interview today, I think a lot of your, your listeners are going to be shaking their heads and looking at each other going, they're lying to us. And they are, mm-hmm. and it's it's not that they're lying to the cl- the climate's changing. Of course it is. Uh, the surprising thing would be is if it wasn't, because uh, as a geologist, I like I look at things in the big picture, uh, and uh, but it's it's these catastrophic consequences and the overblown warming that's being predicted. Uh, so I, I again I, I put things in a lo- much longer uh, perspective, and what really got me hooked and just made me irate, was whenever I started research, one of the first things I did was um, the fires were raging in California. And I said, well, what's this? And I looked at it, and, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, we're being told flat out that uh, global warming and climate change are leading to increases in fires, right? That's what we're being told. Right. Nothing right. could be further from the truth. We've seen a worldwide decline in, fi- in the number of fires in North America And even Cal Fire, the Cal Fire data in California show that the number of fires in California has declined almost 50% in the last 30 years. The area burned has increased, which means that each fire is necessarily probably twice as big as they used to be and probably much more intense. But that's a forest management issue, not a climate change-related issue. The Sierra Nevada Conservancy, uh, in their most recent report, uh, says that there are five to six times too many trees per acre than what a healthy forest should have. So just think about that. So now you got a fire, and you got all that additional fuel. So that when there is fire, it's going to be much more intense. And then think about two: uh, the second greatest uh, cause of soil moisture loss is the is the water that's sucked out of the ground from the trees and the plants. Well, now you got five times too many or six times too many trees all competing for relatively scarce soil moisture. So that exacerbates uh, the aridity, uh, leading to more dangerous situation. And, and that's what we see. And we see the same thing in Oregon, too, with a slight uh, slight decline in the number of fires, but an increase in the area burned. Uh, so that's just one. And I looked at that, and I just said, and, and the, the recent, uh, I'm sure you heard about the, the Amazon f- uh, rainforest was, going up in flames. That was just in the last two weeks. Well, yeah, there were fires in the Amazon, but it wasn't necessarily the rainforest. As it turns out, and I I hadn't really known any of this until I looked at it because my BS detector started going off whenever I heard all the media alarm about this. I said, boy, this sounds familiar. So I went back and I looked at the NASA data and according to NASA, and if you go to the NASA site, if you, you can Google NASA and Amazon fires. I think you can get there. But their, their, their uh, data says that uh, – well, let me back up. The, the, the most shared image of the Amazon fires was from NASA. I think it's something like 2 million shares. They shared the image, and it, it was pretty alarming. Smoke everywhere. From, this was from a sa- satellite. What wasn't shared was the caption from NASA. And in the caption, NASA stated flatly that the number of fires in 2019, this was as of uh, the end of August, I think it was the 26th or whatever, or it was the last I looked at it. Uh, the average it was right average it was 2019 was right in the middle of the average of the last uh, 16 years because their first satellite went up in 2003. And when I first looked at it, and I wish I'd captured this caption, it, be- it uh, three, two and a half weeks ago, the caption was, slightly below average. So maybe somebody got to NASA and said, hey, you know, we need to sow fear and alarm among the population, and slightly be- below average it isn't going to do it. Could-, could you at least get it up to average? So th- these are fires in the Amazon that are intentionally set every year. They're mostly grassland, croplands, uh, where, they're, where they're ranging uh, cattle. Uh, it's a regener- It's you know, they're intentionally set to prepare the, uh, the land for and as a regenerative process for the next uh, growing season. So this has been going on yeah. year after year after year. So what's surprising isn't, to me, what was the surprising thing was, wasn't they were demonizing it because that's what they do. They demonize everything. The surprising thing for me was this is the first year that they did it. They could have been doing this every year. They could have been... Saying, "Oh my God, the Amazon's on fire because of climate yeah. change. We have to, we have to, we have to uh, lower our sins of emission and get away from that." So we we see these these horrific catastrophes, what I call climate apocalypse events, that they're telling us are going to occur, but they're not. They're just, I mean, well, they're occurring, but not in any great increase in number. Uh, so, no, what wait, they need so to why, do... So right? why? What is mm-hmm. the
1: reason? So why do you think? Um, wh- whose idea was it? Or what was the purpose of um, this year making a bigger deal out, out of it? Who was behind that? I, I don't. What are you well, trying to say? I, well, which,
2: which, whoever they are, the uh, I call them the Ayatollahs of alarmism. These people that want to uh, promote an idea of man-made catastrophic warming, and they're. Uh, these are well-funded scientists who get their funding uh, to promote this. Mm-hmm. I don't... I, you know, th- we're getting into the politics here, and I, uh, why well, are they I mean, doing I mean, I didn't it? know Maybe if you meant...
1: Are- I, I mean, I didn't know if you thought that it had something to do with... Um, with the Amazon um, land, you know, people there or people here, but but, but now that you... But, since politics is, unfortunately, a big part of this, um, I just want to ask, you know, for transparency, what, I mean, are you motivated? Do you have a particular political leaning that is motivating you to, you know, put down or, or um, calm people from climate change hysteria? Do you have a, a an agenda, a political agenda?
2: No, I've got... I've got, as a scientist, I, I, I'm, I'm irate at the scientists that are abusing the scientific process. The scientific process uh-huh. has been stood on its head here. And, and am I getting funding from anybody? Absolutely not. I, I'm, I did mm-hmm. this. In fact, my my mm-hmm. wife, uh, for the first time in 20 years, went back and got a job to allow me, to support me to write the book. Uh, the book sales yes. have taken off, and that helps. But I, I got into this because I... I, I'm, on a, I'm a man on a mission to, to provide the science, the inconvenient facts, if you will, that aren't out there. And it's it's uh, and again, I, I find people really just thirsty for for unbiased, unfiltered information about this. And uh, I, I think there's a, a, a significant percentage of the United States, the citizens, that really view this skeptically, and like yourself, you don't know much about it, as you've stated, but I'm sure there's something in the back of your mind going, boy, we're just getting, it's day after day after day, it's something new, and it's always terrible, and so what I do is I look Mm -hmm. at what's actually happening today, and I, I look at fires, droughts, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, I say, well, what's happening today, and I find most of these things are actually improving uh, what you're hearing from the mainstream media and AOC and the like, and this Greta Thunberg, uh, they're, they're using climate models uh, that overpredict warming two and a half to three times too much to predict something that may or may not occur 50 or 80 years in the future. Well, I, I look at things and say, okay, well, what's actually happening? Uh, if, if all these horrible things are going to happen, shouldn't we see some evidence of that today? And what I see, my big, big, what I, what I talk a lot about is an Earth that's thriving and prospering and greening, uh, and, and humanity's benefiting because of rising temperatures and increasing CO2. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, of, uh, of increasing CO2. It, bear in mind, CO2, carbon dioxide, is the miracle molecule that, is the focus of the Green New Deal and the Paris Climate Accords. They're saying that our burning of fossil fuels is going to lead to uh, radical increases in temperature, which will then lead to radical uh, calamitous events, climate-related events, due to that CO2-driven warming. Uh, But I look at what I see as a geologist. We see that—I'm not going to give you too many numbers here— all right, but but we need to use just a few. We're a little over four hundred parts per million right now of carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide makes up about four hundredths of the atmosphere, of a percent of the atmosphere. We've since the industrial revolution, we've increased. And we are about four hundred. We've added about one hundred and thirty parts per million of CO two, but. Throughout Earth's history, the average has been well over 2,000. In fact, it's been 2,600. So that's six and a half times what we are today. Uh, Earth thrived and prospered with much higher CO2 levels. And the plants, the flowering plants uh, that we rely on, uh, evolved actually uh, on on levels of CO2 that were about 2,500 parts per million.
1: Well, when we come back, um, because we have to take a break there, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you more about that and also um, ask you some of the typical questions that I'm sure you must get all the time, like um, if there's no such thing as global warming, why are we having all these changed weather events? Why is it getting hotter all over the place? You know, Paris, uh, it, it, all, most, mm-hmm. many places, you know, this just this past year, why are we getting... Um, all the the storms and and the drought all, all these different weather changes why is all this happening I'm sure you get all those questions mm-hmm. so I will ask you that because I'm sure yep. that's what my listeners are wondering if there's nothing if there's nothing wrong why why is all this uh, why are all these catastrophes happening well we need to take a break my guest is Gregory Wrightstone. his book is called Inconvenient Facts the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know So stay tuned, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about climate change hysteria with my guest, Gregory Wrightstone. He is the author of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. And he is actually a scientist, unlike most of the people who you hear talking about climate change and related issues who have more of a political agenda than a scientific fact. So before the break, I was saying that when we came back, I was going to ask you, so now I am, about the, probably the most typical questions or or um, people who, you know, question you, like, uh, are saying, oh, well, how could you be right about this when we hear this uh, all the time in the media, climate change, and, and there are all these changes going on, and there are all these, these, gar- <laughs> these uh, like, garbage cans, you know, like, even in hotels, this has been kind of a, um, I travel a lot because I, I go around talking about terrorism all over the place. And, um, and so I'm in hotel rooms, and they have these uh, different kinds of shaped um, baskets, uh, waste paper baskets, except it's not always just for waste paper. You have to figure out what's the waste paper, <laughs> what's the other kind of waste, and figure out which hole to put it in. I, I, I mean, I have to admit, I do not have the patience for this. So it's these kinds of things that people sort of come in contact with, and we just believe it that the world is coming to an end because of global warming, climate change, all of that. And so when you go around saying, oh, no, don't worry, the scientific facts show this, um, people, it must be hard to convince people because, you know, because first of all, it's I mean, not everybody has um, the understand. Not, not everybody went to school to be a geologist. And um, and it's when you think that something is a threat, you tend to want to go to believe that rather than that it isn't. I mean, other than being in denial, <laughs> like I am. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, so people are, would say to you, well, you know, how can you say that nothing is changing with the climate or the or warming? And it's been much higher all over the earth um this year and then before and we're we're having all these tropical storms and droughts and all these different changes um that that are much more severe than we ever had so how could you say, say that there isn't something going on with the climate what do you say to that
2: well the science the facts and the data don't support what you're saying uh let's start with we just talked about fires they're actually in decline we're being told that they're increasing Uh, Just recently with Hurricane Dorian, uh, they they stated flatly that uh, hurricane numbers were increasing, the intensity, wind speed was increasing, and the newest thing with Dorian was that climate change was causing them to slow down. Well, uh, according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and just by the way, I am an expert reviewer uh, for the IPCC reports, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm qualified and acknowledged in that regard. But the IPCC actually states that there's no increase in the number of hurricanes related to warming. Uh, you could, if you look at the actual data, you could argue, actually, I can make a pretty strong argument. And If you look at the data, if we look at tropical storms and hurricanes since the first satellites were launched in the late 70s, there's been a slight decline, uh, particularly if we look at landfalling hurricanes in the United States. That's definitely declined. Uh, the number of hurricanes have actually declined. The number of landfalling hurricanes that made landfall in the United States are declining. Um, and, again, it's just completely opposite what we're being told. We're being told that the intensity well, of hurricanes is increasing. Excuse me?
1: Okay, yes. Yes, yes. Um, but what about the heat? It's, it's harder well, to deny, but it's getting hotter in places.
2: It, well, it... Those are called heat waves. It's not a new phenomena. The worst heat waves, by far, uh, occurred 80 years ago, uh, 90 years ago during the 1930s. Those were horrific heat waves, much worse than anything we've seen uh, in North America since then. Um, in fact, they, if you look at the at the heat records throughout just about every city in North America, uh, those heat records are are uh, at some Most probably the top five or eight or ten hottest temperatures recorded in the 30s. So that's just not that's just not so. Now bear in mind we are in a warming trend. It started warming over 300 years ago in the late 17th century, and we've uh, we've increased well since 1850 probably uh, one degree Celsius, which is hardly you're hardly able to. To, to, to feel that, but it's important to have that to know we've been warming. But it's in fits and starts. Uh, and if we look at the at the new uh, temperature measuring stations that were set up in 2003 across the United States, the uh, USHCN network, they uh, uh, they they've set those up in 2003. Uh, we see, and it's really stark. That at least in the United States here we 've not seen any warming at all during that time now granted it 's going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, but it ends up at the same place this year as what the first was in two thousand and three so we're we're again I say we 're in a warming trend, um, but again, it started over three hundred years ago, and the first two hundred and fifty years of that it had to be entirely naturally driven but what you're being you and your listeners are being asked to believe is Those forces that were driving temperatures starting in the year 1695, those forces suddenly ceased in the middle of the 20th century, and now it's all driven by uh, carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases. No, it's not. No, it's not. Those same natural forces are are in action today just as they were back in 1800 and in, in 1700 and 1750. Those forces are still acting today. Uh, and, and we've seen also the big story I like to use is looking back throughout human history. If we look over the last 5,000 years of human history, we find several other warming trends very similar to what we're in today. All of them ended up much warmer than we are today. And each one of those were associated with with uh, empire building, rise of civilizations, bountiful food, bountiful harvests, uh, it was the, those warming trends were hugely beneficial, and before before climate change became and climate science became politicized, those warm periods like we're in were called climate optima. They were called climate optima because it was beneficial for both the Earth's ecosystems and for humanity. And what we find throughout Earth in human history, it's not the warm periods that we should fear; it's the cold. Each intervening cold periods. These were called the, the Greek Dark Ages, the Dark Ages, and the Little Ice Age. They were linked to crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. The most recent cooling period was called the Little Ice Age. Half the population of Iceland perished, and it's thought that as much as a third of the population of the Earth perished during those cold times. And, and we, we find also that uh, the largest study uh, to date Dr. Antonio Gasparini and a team of uh, physicians looked at temperature-related deaths, 74 million temperature-related deaths from 14 countries, and found that 20 times as many people die because of cold-related situations than due to heat. Again, just opposite of what we're being told. So in another similar story I capture in the Booker study, uh, they looked at England and Wales, and in that study they found that 15 times as many people died due to cold as due to heat so is it 15 or 20 whatever it is it's greatly overwhelmed cold deaths as opposed to heat related deaths and it's again you're gonna hear me say this a lot it's just opposite of what we're being told
1: what about and we see pictures of this on the news or in um movie theaters um different documentaries um the melting of the polar ice caps. I mean, we do see pictures of ice melting. Um, Mm -hmm. It's warming. What
2: about that? We just just talked about it being in a warming trend. We are in a warming trend. And as temperatures rise slightly, glaciers retreat, and the polar ice cap, the northern polar ice cap is retreating. That's a fact. And that... uh, the rise of sea level is related to the melting of gl- land-based glaciers. Not, we could melt the entire northern polar ice cap, and it would hardly raise sea level one, one inch, not even. And the reason for that is the northern polar ice cap is floating on, on water. It's not land-based. So if you can imagine, you can do that experiment in your home. Put some ice cubes in a glass... Mm-hmm. Mark the, mark the level of the water, and then when the ice melts, the water level remains the same. Because if you can imagine, it's the, the Titanic hit that iceberg. Well, most of the iceberg, remember, is underwater, and that's what we get with the no, northern polar ice cap. Uh, it's, it's the melting of land-based glaciers, uh, and the primary land-based glaciers are on Antarctica and Greenland, uh, but we've retreat of glaciers uh, across North America, Europe, and Asia as well. And that's because it's warming. Uh, we're, if you go up to the Mendenhall glaciers, as mm-hmm. my wife and I did a couple of years ago in, in Alaska, you know what you find right now is the glaciers retreating. They're finding archaeological sites where people had lived there. We're finding mature forests that have been covered in ice. Well, think about that. It had to have been a lot warmer in the past during that time. It was called the medieval warm mm-hmm. period. It had to have been a lot, lot warmer than it is today. Because these retreating glaciers are exposing these uh, the remnants of the mature forests with with full grown root systems that are left uh, under the ice. So we've got mm-hmm. it's it's uh, and actually it was just a story a couple of weeks ago where, where archaeologists are having a field day because uh, retreating ice is exposing these these new uh, archaeological places where people yeah. have lived.
1: Yes. Okay, but here's what I don't understand. One of the things, if I mean, why is it that more people, more scientists, aren't out there like you telling people about these things when in the meantime, there are all these changes going on from what I was talking about, you know, the trivial like straws and waste paper baskets to um, more serious things like I was just reading a big article about um, what are they calling it climate migration or, or climate refugees um, people moving no, spare me. from um, one place to another to a, and they were talking specifically like the place where they are where it's happening right now more than any place else is in Florida the Florida Keys um, that people are moving from their where they live in order to go to a place where they believe there will be less of an impact of global warming. Why isn't anybody out there, you know, telling telling people um, that hold on a minute, you know, um, let's not be hasty here and move or change your straws or do a whole bunch of other things that are more serious than straws um, because this isn't true. This isn't really anything bad to worry about. Why isn't I mean, why are you the only one? I know I was asking you before we started about whether there were other books, but, and you mentioned two, but they're not really by scientists. Well, one was a weatherman, but, um, and they, they both are in the same vein as what you are saying, that, you know, not to panic. But why why are you like the only three um, people trying oh, to yell oh, out I'm into not. the darkness?
2: I am not. Actually, yesterday, two days ago, uh, there was a letter signed by 500 scientists. Now, I, I, I was actually a signatory, not one of the 500, because I'm from the United States. European scientists uh, that wrote a letter to the uh, uh, European Union uh, complaining about that. No, there are, there are hundreds, thousands of scientists. There's The biggest p- petition was the Oregon petition, where 35,000 degreed scientists uh, agreed with me on this no no you just don't hear about them they don't get they don't get an audience they don't get a platform uh we're silenced Uh, we just uh, And nbc news just last week stated that they will not uh have any contrarian views on their shows and we see that everywhere uh but again we see these things that we're talking about here that they're stated flatly that they're happening but but they're not they're We're seeing a world that's thriving and prospering, and the evidence is clear. And in fact, I've got a. We we launched a smartphone app. Uh, You can find that on the App Store or Google Play Store. Just search for "Inconvenient Facts," and you can get a lot of this, these charts and information. And each one of these uh, are fully sourced and referenced. I use NASA and NOAA data. I use uh, peer, NOAA's National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. I use their data. I use peer-reviewed studies. My book has 14 pages of references. So if you're if you're uh, you don't believe me, you can actually go look it up yourself. And I use I, so I use science facts and data that are that are fully referenced and sourced, and that's important to to do that. So I'm uh, but as as for why some of these scientists, I mean. There's funding if you want it's been this way for the last twenty or thirty years that if you wanted funding uh and you're in the university uh your proposal had better toe the what I call the company line that is that uh, you better support man made catastrophic warming or you're not going to get your funding and that's that's just oh. back to life
1: oh that's interesting <laughs> um, and well, yeah, that certainly is not known that there are that many scientists who are more in line with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and can I add here, so,
2: too, also, I, I speak at, I'll be speaking in three weeks in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. to a, a scientific organization as a featured speaker. Uh, I speak to geologic groups, and I find geologists in particular uh, believe, as I do, I spoke uh, to the Ohio Geological Society Uh, One of their annual meetings here, this was, oh, it's been nine months ago. You know what? There was a a 100% consensus. Everybody in the room, and there were probably 50-plus people there, uh, geoscientists, every single person in the room uh, applauded me, and just there was not one person. And I talked to a lot of the people there. They were all hugely supportive. I've got a strong... Because we as geologists, we, we study the Earth's process. We look at the long-term picture, and we as geologists know that these things have been going on forever. I mean, this, this climate, mm-hmm. uh, we, no matter, no matter how, what period you look at, thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of years, the temperature's going up and down often quite significantly. And it's always been driven mm-hmm. by natural mm-hmm. forces.
1: Okay, well, we need to take another break. When we get back, we'll talk more about this and also um, what the forces are for, besides, you know, funding research or even including that, because why there is this strong push to get people to believe that climate change is happening and is leading to um, the end of the world, basically. Well, my guest today is Gregory Wrightstone. His book is called Inconvenient facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. So, when you, if we come back, we'll be talking more about climate change hysteria. And so, stay tuned to Dr. Carol's couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: VoiceAmerica.com
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about climate change Sarah with my guest, uh, Gregory Wrightstone, who is the author of a book that has become increasingly popular <laughs> as uh, global warming, climate change, hysteria has come more into view. His book is called Inconvenient Facts, The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. And just as a reminder, he is a um, geologist. So he's um, not a politician. Now, I wanted to um, talk a bit about the current brouhaha that has been going on um, in regard to the um, the this sixteen-year-old girl named Greta Thunberg, who is um, has who's Swedish, she who lives in Sweden, and she has just come to the U.S. to speak in front of the U.N. Um, and she spoke in front of Congress. Also, she is impassioned about climate change and about how the world is coming to an end because of climate change. And she wants, she's yelling at everybody to um, pay attention. I'll tell you exactly what she is saying. Um, She is saying, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. This is at the UN. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us, young people, for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, and dying ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Now, um, I did not say it as dramatically as Greta did, um, very, very... (laughs) Very dramatically, and that is because her mother, both her mother and her father and her sister and her grandfather um, are all in the theater. Um, Her sister actually is mainly a singer and a dancer, but um, her mother and her mother is an opera singer, and her father was an actor, is is an actor. I don't think he's doing anything. uh, Her mother has, she got her mother and her father to stop Uh, traveling. Her mother became world famous in 2009 when she won Eurovision. She was representing Sweden in Eurovision. And, um, they then traveled around the world, uh, her mother and her, and she and her sister and her father to promote her mother's career. Now, um, the, you know, the, the latest brouhaha, I mean, actually, Before this just happened, which was last night, um, I saw uh, videos of Greta Thunberg talking about climate change, and even before I really knew much about her, I was concerned about her overly impassioned state, shall we say. Uh, She has um, begun a movement, I mean, she has I don't think it's fair to say that she began it, but she has definitely played a big role in accelerating it. Um, in, in November 2015, there were students who were getting other students to skip school on the first day of the UN Climate Conference in Paris. A um, hundred countries took part, over 50,000 people. And then in August of 2018, Greta stood outside of the Swedish embassy the Swedish Parliament, and uh, she was supposedly inspired by the Parkland students, you know, marching against guns, and um, she wanted people in Parliament, the reason why she was standing out there and cutting school was because she wanted people in Parliament to do something about climate change, to stop, you know, the uh, the end of the world, basically. Now, um, so, you know, she started this, or this is, she became part of what's now being called the climate strike, the school strike for climates, youth for climates, uh, Fridays for Future, where kids uh, st- cut school on Fridays for various causes, notably, in particular, climate change. Now, what happened last night was that um, there was a guest, Michael Knowles, on um Yes. Ingram. Laura, um, Laura Ingram. Ingram, yes. I have been on Laura Ingram several times. You wouldn't think I would forget um, the name of the show or her name. Anyhow, Michael Knowles was on the show last night and um, he was to talk about climate change and in particular to talk about Greta Thunberg because she had just made this speech to the UN. And, um, and he was, and he said, if it were about science, if climate change were about science, it would be led by scientists rather than by politicians and a mentally ill Swedish child who is being exploited by her parents and by the international left. Now, there is no doubt that um, this is, you know, certainly the uh, left are much more up in arms about climate change than conservatives. I mean, I'm not making that up. <laughs> it's not not news. But um, But when he said that, the, it exploded the universe um, because, because he said um, a mentally ill Swedish child exploited by her parents and by the international left. Now, what he was trying to say, and he, he went on to explain himself, he wasn't really... Um, you know, he was trying to say that she is being exploited, not that... And the, but the main thing that people got all nuts about, <laughs> and I say nuts in particular... Um, Is because he used the word words mentally ill. Now, as a psychiatrist, I have been noticing more and more. If you say that somebody is mentally ill, it is it has taken on such a stigma that it is people think right away about Cuckoo's Nest, the movie, and they think you're calling this person someone as mentally ill, so to speak, as the people in the psychiatric hospital in Cuckoo's Nest. Well, mental illness, there are many, many different kinds of mental illness. And um, they are described in a book called The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And that is like the dictionary for psychiatrists and psychologists. And um, these are all mental disorders. You know, mental illness has a, a little bit more of a sting to it, but it is essentially, that is what it is describing. Now, he did not make up, Michael Knowles did not invent the fact that, um, that Greta has psychological problems. Her family has written two books and they talk about um, how she has been diagnosed with ADHD. Well, they give a number of different diagnoses. ADHD, Asperger's sy- syndrome, a high-functioning autism, um, OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and selective mutism. So this a uh, man on Laura Ingram did not invent this or was not trying to say that she was, belonged in a psych ward that was like cuckoo's nest. And yet everybody, even Fox News, it's the, the news is that, he's, that they have banned this guest, this um, Michael Knowles, because he described Greta as mentally ill. Now, <laughs> um, you know, of course the problem is that in our climate... Of um political divisiveness, words are so easily um, people are so emotional and and words are so easily taken out of context, and people are just looking for things to um, criticize the other side about. but I bet you that all these people who are criticizing him ninety nine percent of them at least do not know that her family, including her, she and her family wrote um, these books, which talk about her mental illness. For example, there's one that's called um, Our House is on Fire, Scenes of a Family and a Planet in Crisis. And so the summary for the book that's in Goodreads says, this is a story of a family led to confront a crisis they had never foreseen. Aged 11, their eldest daughter, that's Greta, has stopped eating and speaking. Alongside diagnoses of autism and selective mutism, her parents slowly become aware of another source for her distress, her imperiled future on a rapidly heating planet. Steered by her determination to understand the truth, the family begins to see the deep connections between their own and the planet's suffering. Against forces that try to silence them, disparaging them for being different, They discover ways to strengthen, heal, and act in the world, and then one day, 15-year-old Greta decides to go on strike, and that's when she started this whole thing. Now, you know, it's interesting that apparently in this book, the family blames (laughs) climate change for these psychological problems that Greta and her sister, by the way, she has her own psychological problems that is written, that are written about in the book, um... But now where it seems to me that it's interesting that these um, problems came about after they went on tour um, for her mother's, you know, singing career. And then Greta got her mother to stop being an international singer, to stop flying because of climate change. Now, you know, you don't have to be Freud to figure out that maybe she wanted her mother to stop flying around the world because she wanted her to be home with her and give her more attention than her singing career. I'm just saying, you know, I have never examined them, and I would love to do family therapy with them, but um, I have never examined them. I can't, te- I can't technically diagnose them, but they have apparently been to uh, mental health professionals who have provided these diagnoses. It did not just happen on Fox News. So I think everybody needs to kind of chill <laughs> perfectly. Perfect, uh, wording for what we're, what we're experiencing here. And, um, and, and just look at the real facts rather than, um, freaking out about someone, you know, saying, it's not really, I mean, yes, it's the stigma of the words mental illness, but it's also about, it's also the people who are against, um, anyone who, (laughs) who is saying that climate change doesn't exist, just like my guest Gregory Wrightstone. (laughs) <laughs> Take it away, Gregory. What do you think about all this? I know you said you hadn't heard about this brouhaha. Yeah, let me respond.
2: Yeah, let me respond to some. There's a lot, a lot you went over there. Uh, number one, I do believe yeah. in climate change. You, you stated that I didn't. I do. I, I believe that increases in carbon dioxide by, by man's burning of fossil fuels is increasing CO2, and that has a warming effect on the atmosphere. I just don't believe it's. I think it's very modest and overwhelmed by the natural forces. We need to we need to straighten okay. that out. Then. But get back to Greta okay. Thunberg. She's uh, uh, she's now sixteen. She's she's not a little child, but they dress her up uh, to make her look like she's twelve years old. And and what, an important thing which you should look into are, are in Swedish lore uh, the story of Pepe Longstockings. This this twelve uh, year old. Uh, pigtail girl that looks uncannily like Greta Thunberg. Um, yeah. she's known as a, as a, as a young girl who's wise beyond her years and she lectures her elders about what, what they should be doing. Um, so there's a strong correlation there, uh, mm. with, with the swe- mm-hmm. Swedish Pippi Longstocking. And the other thing, she sailed a racing yacht across the Atlantic Ocean, took her nearly right. 30 days to get here. Well, number one, it was a four man crew. The racing yacht, it wasn't made of wood, it was made of petroleum products, which she wants us to abandon. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, once they got here, they needed to fly another four-man crew over, uh, to sail it back. And the other, the other four-man yeah. crew flew back, uh, to the continent. So, and, and yeah. she did, as she said, cause she did want, she wanted to reduce her, her climate footprint. So this is just a, right. just, Probably the biggest virtue signaling we've seen uh, in regards to this, and so uh, once again they dress her up to make her look like she's twelve years old. She's a young woman. She's not a she's not a little girl. Um, 16's uh, a young adult. Not not you know she's she's closer to twenty than she is to ten. So and, and she should be. She should, it says that we should be. Uh, what the, was it ashamed or whatever? No, she should be. They should be, what well, we're looking at here, this, her, she and her generation are the most coddled, spoiled generation of all time. They live on their cell phones. They live on, the, on their electronics. They're going to school every day in the United States right now uh, in air-conditioned uh, schools. Turn off the air conditioning. If, if climate change mm-hmm. is, a, is an existential threat, turn off your air conditioner. Let them sit and, and swelter in school. Turn off the heat and you know, turn it down to fifty degrees in the winter and wear a coat and a sweater. Uh, but they're not going to do that. Again, she's she's the most she and her her, her generation. Uh, we've never had a generation that's more coddled or spoiled uh, with the luxuries that that actually uh, reliable, abundant, affordable uh, energy provides to them and their families. And we can we can. Well, I'm a well, I'm that, a contributing. That's
1: the top. <laughs> That's a topic for another for another show, but okay. But you know, but you make good points about the use of air conditioning and so on, and the and the boat. That's very good. And yes, and Pippi Longstocking. Yes, I I know. I didn't really actually connect that, but yes, I'm familiar with Pippi Longstocking. That was good. Okay, let me let me tell people the name of your book again. I'm sure you have uh, sparked people's um, interest. Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. And again, my guest is Gregory Wrightstone. And thank you so much, Gregory, for being a voice of sanity in all of this, um, these storms of craziness about the world ending tomorrow. And thank, thank you, you all much. for listening. You've, listening. you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.